Good morning, friends. I'll add my own greeting to that of uh, Peter Schaff. Thank you, Peter, for leading us in liturgy this morning. Peter is the vice president of the Board of Trustees, and they're stepping in to help us while Katie is gone. You heard Peter mentioned uh, Katie's sabbatical project. The project she's working on while she's away from us is called Prayer in Uncertain Times, which is a very relevant, relevant topic, right, for the times we're going through. And so out of solidarity with Katie, Christine and I are preaching a sermon series during Epiphany, um, which is called Help Thanks While the Lord's Prayer. Help Thanks While are the three best prayers, according to Anne Lamott. Jesus gives us seven parts of the perfect prayer, so these two simple prayer guides in parallel with each other. Today, Hallowed Be Thy Name, uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 3, a beloved story from the Hebrew Bible. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, and he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, but it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside to look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when God saw that Moses had turned aside, God called to Moses out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. But Moses said to God, Who are you? God said to Moses, My name is I am who I am. Tell Pharaoh, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have paid less attention to the current college football season because the season has been so insane and truncated, but I started paying attention again when Northwestern contended for the Big Ten Championship a couple of weeks ago, and I started seeing all these curious headlines in the media. Sermon breaks record. Sermon adds a new dynamic. Sermon is a new weapon. LeBron praises Sermon. Well, as you might imagine, I was jubilant. Most of the time in the 21st century, preachers feel as if they are preaching in outer space where there is neither sound nor congregation. Your words fall instantly into a ravenous black hole and disappear forever. So when I hear that LeBron James praises a sermon, I get excited. Now what those headlines were talking about, of course, was Ohio State running back Trey Sermon, who piled up 331 yards against Northwestern and broke a record. What an interesting surname, right? Trey Sermon. It has to be the case that one of his distant ancestors was a preacher, right? Sometimes names can mislead you about the bearer of those names, but other times a name can tell you exactly who a person is. Nomen omen, said the Romans. Nomen omen, the name is a sign. So I went to elementary school with Mr. and Mrs. Barr's daughter. They named her Candy. She was sweet. 
For 35 years, my father worked for the aeronautics company Lear Siegler, which was founded by Bill Lear, who also founded Learjet. Bill Lear named his daughter Shanda. She was bright. Mr. and Mrs. Case named their son Justin. Nomenclature sometimes is destiny. They tell me that Winston Churchill's neurosurgeon was Lord Brain. Sir Simon Rattle is the conductor of the London Symphony Orchestra. He's very good with percussion and brass. There's a preacher named Peter Popoff. In the 80s, there was a champion 400-meter hurdler called Marina Stepanova. She was just stepping over those hurdles. Nomen Omen, the name is a sign. Thus, one of the most beloved stories from the Hebrew Bible. Before he becomes famous, future, future freedom fighter Moses is out there in the wilderness counting sheep for his father-in-law. And he sees the most remarkable sight. He sees a bush which is burning without being consumed. It flames and flashes but doesn't disintegrate into a pile of ash. And not only does this bush have inexhaustible fuel, it has a voice. It not only burns, it speaks. It says, Moses, come no closer. Take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. This flaming tree is a theophany. Sensibly, Moses asks, who are you? And for the first time in the biblical narrative, God speaks God's holy name. God says, I am who I am. Or maybe better, I will be what I will be. God says, my name is Yahweh. God's name is called the Tetragrammaton. If you know a little Greek, you know that Tetragrammaton refers to the four consonants. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. Some mysterious variant of the third person singular form of the Hebrew verb to be. I will be what I will be. Or I cause to be. Well, what in the world does that mean? But you see, here's the thing about God's name. It's intentionally slippery. It's inscrutable on purpose. Because God will not be pinned down. God will not be owned. God will not be had. God asks What is your name? And God responds, my name is Yahweh. And someone said the best translation of God's name is, that's none of your business, Moses. You just go over and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. It's a holy and cryptic mystery. Nevertheless, God stoops down and deigns to share God's name with God's people. And instantly, the Deus Absconditus becomes the Deus Revelatus. The hidden God becomes the revealed God. And then 1,800 years later, when Jesus teaches the perfect prayer to his best friends, the first thing he tells them is where God lives. Our Father which art in heaven. And the second thing he asks them to say is to make a promise. Hallowed be thy name. Sacred, stay your sobriquet. Holy, hold your handle. Because God is Holy, other, distant, different. There's nothing like God in all of creation. But why do I speak like that? God isn't in creation at all. God doesn't exist. Existence is for protons 
and protozoa, plankton, peonies, ponderosapines, porpoises, pandas, and Presbyterians. God doesn't exist. God is above and beyond all of that. And so we need to promise to make our lives dim copies and faint echoes of God's unapproachable splendor. We promise to live lunar lives. That is to say, the moon has no incandescence of its own. The moon borrows its sheen from the sun. Thus, with my quiet, small life as well, I need to show the world God's reflected glory. It's small and dim, but it's something. God's reflected glory. It's my responsibility to keep God's name holy. Sometimes the sacred reaches down to sanctify the secular. When John Sexton was president of New York University, he taught the most wonderful course. I think he only taught one course a year at NYU, but it was the most wonderful course. It was called Baseball as a Road to God. I wish I'd gone to NYU, but they wouldn't have me. Dr. Sexton says that some people find God in church. Some people find God at the Catholic Mass. Others find the holy in a Beethoven symphony. Others find the holy in a Sandy Koufax curveball. And then Dr. Sexton quotes James Joyce, almost anything may become a gate of access to the incorruptible eon of the gods. So you may find a gate of access to the incorruptible eon of the gods at Holy Name Cathedral or at Wrigley Field. By the way, do you notice that Chicago's cathedral gets its name from the Lord's Prayer? Sometimes the sacred reaches down to sanctify the secular. So, for instance, the Declaration of Independence and the American Constitution are semi-sacred scriptures for Americans. Actually, for all the world, because most existing democracies learned how to do it from Jefferson. Almost nobody beat Jefferson to democracy. Maybe the Swiss, maybe the Dutch, maybe Cherokee Nation, a few aboriginal peoples. You could say that the English curtsied in the direction of democracy with the Magna Carta, but nobody got there before Jefferson. Our soldiers and sailors are willing to die for these documents. Many have. With malice toward none and charity toward all, with firmness in the right, as God has given us to see the right, we strive to finish the work we are in. When President Lincoln spoke those immortal words in his greatest speech, beneath the brand new Capitol Dome, in 1865, ever since he spoke those words, that dome has been a sacred symbol of democracy, an emblem of freedom for all the peoples of the world. And that's why so many of us are just destroyed to see what happened there on Wednesday. We're just broken into a million pieces because to parade a Confederate flag, a symbol of chattel slavery in that semi-sacred space is an obscenity. To wear a t-shirt which says Camp Auschwitz is a profanation of the semi-sacred. And so, right now, it's up to us to re-sanctify 
the semi-sacred. How do you do that? How do you re-sanctify the semi-sacred? We do that by resolving to tell each other the truth, all of us, all the time, because the truth, capital T, is a sine qua non of all functioning, healthy, peaceful human communities. We cannot accomplish human commerce without the truth, capital T. It is a holy obligation for all of us, including presidents and mayors. The twin towers of shrewd leadership, truth and transparency in every realm of life, in church, in the academy, in business, in government. Truth and transparency, because you cannot run a sprawling city like Chicago from underneath an opaque shroud of secrecy. The truth will out, says Lancelot in The Merchant of Venice. The truth will out. Start with the truth, because lies are lethal. They kill, literally. So as fellow citizens of the United States of America and faithful disciples of the one who taught us to pray, we resolve to keep holy things holy. Our semi-sacred symbols and God's holy name itself. At that burning bush, God deigned to stoop down to share God's name with God's people. My name is Yahweh, said God. I will be what I will be. But that relationship is reciprocal, yes? It's a two-way street. We speak our names to God as well. And maybe some of you have guessed where my sermon title comes from. The story may be apocryphal, but that doesn't make it any less theologically profound. It's what a little boy heard when he first learned to pray the Lord's Prayer. He prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, How'd you know my name? And God said, Boy, I made you. And I will never forget that name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.